0: Everyone recording? Yes. I see
1: four blinking lights. I love it. There are four lights. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, welcome, everybody, to episode 20. Can you believe it? Of Pen Pen Pals Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Alex.
0: Uh, And I'm Ben. And it only took me 20 episodes to figure out to chime in there.
1: he's our other host. He's amazing. Sorry, go on back.
0: Oh, and we have uh, two guests today for episode 20. So one, uh, we have returning guest, friend of the pod, Brian.
2: Hello. Brian, do you want to introduce our other guest? Yeah. So our other guest is my friend, Ed Habiz. He and I have been playing D&D together for a few years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I recently joined his production company, Eda EdwS, as their art director.
3: Well, well, well. Ha, what do we got here?
2: Yeah, so this is this is more than exciting. You
3: know, it's more exciting. But yes, Eda It's kind of funny how this whole thing actually occurred. What
1: is Eda exactly? Uh, I know Brian has mentioned a couple of things, but if you could walk us through. It
3: well, with- you know, it's funny. In uh, around, I believe it was the late summer, going into early fall of 2017. A good friend of mine by the name of Aaron, she had this crazy idea like first of all, she got inspired by Ruby. Uh you know, Rooster Teeth. It was funny like one day we sat down, you know, we we had like we had tea, we had her like little biscuits and stuff because she's the one that is obsessed with her tea. I, I I'll never forget that. And we sat down, I introduced her to Ruby, and she had this just infatuation by the show and just everything when it comes to the hunters, the huntresses. What are they doing? They're facing the grim, the onslaught of these creatures and the unusual, mysterious nature of what they are. And she became so obsessed that she's like, you know, why don't we make our characters? And um, and I remember telling her like, hey, I was thinking very much alike. And that's when Weiss really took off is that uh, all of a sudden we came up with our own characters, Every letter in Edelweiss, which is E-D-W-S, is a character.
2: And that, that's how Ruby got its name as well, right?
3: Right. Just let me know if I, I um, go, go a too far <laughs> in my explanation. No,
1: that's fine. So if yeah. I understand
2: correctly, it's kind of like a
1: fan fiction based off of Yes, Ruby? yes,
3: exactly. Well, well, actually, it's based off of the Ruby universe, but everything we got <laughs> is original. Uh, which is always what we want to be. And, and Ruby's uh, in anime or? Um... It, it's it, Well, it's interesting because it could be categorized as anime. Uh, I'm sure. If I can jump in. Yes, yes, please, please.
2: <laughs> yeah, so Ruby is uh, an American made production. It is very anime in its appearance. Uh, it is computer graphics rather than hand-drawn art. Hmm. Uh, so that sets it apart a little bit, but there's a precedent with that in anime. Uh, but also it's not produced in Japan. Mm. Okay, like in Ed, the
1: same way that Avatar The Last Airbender is absolutely. is
2: anime-styled
1: at least, but yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> and I do feel like Ed is underselling it a little bit because uh, when I think, of, when I think of fan fiction, I just think of somebody writing stories and maybe making their own concept art characters. So this is a, a, a larger production. It's oh, not yeah. fully animated video, but you know they've got still frame art with voice acting and uh, original musical scores, themes. Uh it's a pretty pretty uh impressive production.
1: Oh wow. So like uh episodes as opposed to like fan fiction yes. chapters.
3: Yes. you will not believe. We actually have um <laughs> well, I mean we we we're, we're still trying to get a you know back together and and we're trying to flesh things out. But it's funny because volume 1 is technically complete. Uh we we, we have four episodes out and like you know it, it's an audio book with visuals and you have every character interacting and of course the character that I played as you know Willie J Foxglove is his character and you know, he just has these rambunctious moments. And, you know, it's 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 funny how the inspirations were very uh, spontaneous and very much free flowing, especially the way Aaron handled things throughout the beginning process. And yes, I, I don't mean to undersell. Trust me, it is explosive beyond belief. Um, ho- Hopefully we can <laughs> we, we can continue with it
2: and really make it bloom. So just one question for Alex and Ben uh, on this subject. I've kept up with as many as the uh, podcast episodes as if he's aired, but you still have a few in the can that haven't aired. Uh, is Ed the first guest you've had that is like like artistic content creator?
1: Huh. I guess I'd have to ask
2: some people to make sure, but it's entirely
1: possible.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, we've had some pretty artistic people. So like, you mm. know, Jim is a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, Nate okay. does a lot of... Uh,
3: Drawing the and drawer, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But do they play racquetball?
1: <laughs> I you are first racquetball They player. cannot
3: even compare to this. What do you mean? Music <laughs> and sports? Beautiful combination, I tell you. I know. Anyway, I'm, 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 I'm exaggerating. I don't mean to bash anyone else.
2: <laughs> I guess the other pressing question for your uh, listening audience is, did these other endeavors begin with tea and biscuits? <laughs>
0: Speaking of tea and biscuits, I think it's time for the uh PP Pals peapod update.
2: What a great segue.
1: It is doing great. Okay. We, we I have uh, like four inches of growth already on uh, on the more rambunctious uh peapods. So they should be oh and I I re reset the structure the support for it to grow on so now it's got three different components string uh and two hard wire frames so we're hoping for less droopage this time and, and taller stocks but it's going great how about the pv pals podcast update you listen to anything good this week
0: the, the New York Times, The Daily, I'm not sure if it came out this week, I was listening to it a little bit late, but they had a, a great episode on Brianna Taylor, so recommend that, and Reply All also had a very interesting episode on kind of QAnon and uh, the people who may be behind it.
1: Okay, I gotta check out that one. Uh, that is awesome. Two great recommendations. Oh, one more thing, and maybe I'll switch this to before we did this. I just wanted to ask, uh, Ed, you you play piano, right?
3: You will not believe this is, this is, how do I say this? I have refined the akimbo style, meaning in this fact of I use both hands mostly stride it's stride piano that i've been really influenced by and getting into and it's kind of funny that i um you know i don't, I don't mean to be all over the place it's just there's so much to talk about in this ingenious realm of the keys because it just seems like mm-hmm. there's too many ideas that can flow or at times i feel like i'm limited um and w- what i mean by limited is I, I limit myself because i'm like there are patterns i could learn you know that i'm not aware of you know it's just it's it's really transcending yourself into a mind frame or mindset rather, like, hey, I have the ability to do this. I have seen someone maybe make a similar comparison to a pattern, but how do I refine it? How do I make it different? You know, it's odd because (laughs) I actually started doing music much later than usual. Like I I never thought I was gonna do music at all. Like it was just the last thing in my back burner. But I was told straight up after I did like a piano competition, uh, you know, I was like, hey, and then I realized, I finally learned who Mozart was in college. I was like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? He, he... Okay.
2: So so the answer to your question isn't just yes, it's <laughs>
3: yes! Oh, <sorry. laughs> an emphatic yes, which yes. is
1: what we like. Show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. okay, cool. And that's kind of a good segue to get into it. Okay. Last time on Challenge of the Neobots, Shinji stood up for all the pilots, but G- Gendo gave an order to knock the empowerment streak right out of him. You know, like you do when you're a sociopathic patriarch who can't get over his own abandonment issues. Toji survived Gendo's attempt on his life, listened in on Shinji's dream, and received a visit from Mikari. All done pretty well for a 14-year-old who just recovered from a possession. All were sulking, frustrated, hurt, and miserable when Shinji left Nerve, with confidence this time. That is, until the Super Skrull of Angels appear, making a mockery of Nerve's conventional defenses and disabling units 00 and 02, despite valiant and ingenious efforts by Asuka and Rei. Just when it seemed Coffin-Faced Angel might end the series early, Shinji got back in the robot, saving the day only to realize that the Evas aren't robots. They aren't robots at all.
0: Um, And then uh, this episode, episode 20 of The Shapes of Hearts and Humans, after achieving an unheard of synchronization rate, Shinji merges with Unit 01. While he has an out-of-body experience, Nerve works to salvage him. You
2: become Legend
3: young boy. <laughs> you Oh gosh! I this song was so spoken of. Oh, okay. Well, I'll tell it after.
2: Ritsuko's mother uh, was also the template for one third of the Magi supercomputer. No, no, no. It was three different parts Mm -hmm. of her. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's wild.
0: Um, So I think right when we started watching.
3: Uh, Ed, you were saying something about the the opening song. What was it? What was it? Other than it being the KC minor. When I went to school for music, I had four Japanese friends and one by the name of Haruka Yanazawa, who was infatuated with jazz. Bossa Nova is just crazy over there. And she she was mentioning to me how the Evangelion theme it is booming it's still vibrant and alive like especially when she goes to gigs it's weird that she'll run into other people they'll be like hey do you know this tune and i'm like wow people are actually like improvising over this song that's all i
2: just i feel confident saying that the uh, evangelion theme is probably as recognizable in japan as like the theme for fresh prince in america <laughs> <laughs> I just saw a video recently about can you survive off of only evangelion merchandise and the easy answer was like yes very easily they're like eva
0: ramen and stuff like mm-hmm. that or,
2: yeah the toilet paper i need
0: my mecca pockies for eva. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this episode i think it began doing something i couldn't remember if they've ever done this where we kind of get a repeat of some of the final scenes of the last episode. Um, so we kind of pick up right where it left off and and we're kind of um, re-watching some of the things. So the Ava eating the angel, them talking about how the, the armor isn't armor, but actually restraints.
3: Oh, you mean the outer layer of the Ava itself? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they do have a dual purpose. They say that the the armor plating on the outside,
1: it is armor. It does protect the uh, organic parts within, but ultimately it also constrains some sort of true power or maybe constrains its consciousness, right? Like the first time it goes berserk, Sakael blows through its cranium. So it like messes (laughs) with that uh, head, that helmet, that helmet armor. And that maybe is what allows it to become conscious and go berserk.
3: I was actually also curious uh, because, I mean, it it sounds like, how do I say this? It sounds like humanity is tampering with things that I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but it's always dangerous. And I know this is a very (laughs) reoccurring theme, and I'm I'm sure you're so familiar with this idea Mm -hmm. that tampering with the unknown or with the concept of madness is always not just a horrifying idea, but... (laughs) What to expect? I don't think we yeah. we know
2: what to expect. So that's uh, ubiquitous in Japanese entertainment, right? Like tampering with the atom and what the nuclear age brings. Oh, oh. reverberations of the bomb. So if I could back us up a little bit, so mm-hmm. like like unit one tears into Bardiel, like that that's the attacking angel, right? Zuriel. Oh, Zuriel. Zuriel, yeah. Um, so it has organic components as well that like it's being consumed by Unit 001. is there a similar situation there? Like, well, we assume the angels are completely organic, right? When they appear, they they look like mechs, though.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and there's that one that looks like a giant tetrahedron or
3: whatever. You know? <laughs> see, the problem is that every time we're talking about this, I keep thinking, even though my senses are seeing, like, even though I can see, that's probably like some sort of mecha, you know, as like you know, bohe was saying. They may be a lot more abstract, like beyond our senses. Yeah, we just so happen to see them in such a Mm -hmm. physical format.
2: So kind of like uh, synthetic beings from like Alien or Blade Runner.
1: So you think that the angels are not, or or some angels are not grown? That they're not organic, that they don't grow? I mean, we do have ones that appear that like they're not natural things. They look like they couldn't be alive, but are you supposing that they... Are not alive; that they're not organic; that
3: they're not grown. I believe personally that there are things that can exist, even, even, even without some sort of source.
2: Well, I guess what I'm thinking of is our first time we see Adam; it's like this fetal thing, right? Yes, yeah, so it's this weird like embryo. Well, so since Evangelion deals a lot with like Judeo-Christian imagery, the only thing that sort of comes to mind with Ed's comment is, um, you know, this this idea like within higher religious academia about the timelessness of things. Some things might not be like born and then live and die like we understand in the physical world. Like the physical world is this construct or like if you think about it like a video game, its own rules that exist in this confined thing. And then outside of that, there's different sets of rules that don't exist within the context of time that require like a beginning, a thriving period, and then an end. those are all like time- relative concepts, like require the context of time.
1: So in order for something to not be bound by time, to be ex nihilo from nothing, to not have a beginning or necessarily an end, it would have to come from outside of the universe. So what I'm hearing, and I hadn't thought about this idea, and it's not, it's not, uh, it could work, I just hadn't thought about this, is the idea of the angels not coming from within the Evangelion universe. Like, that's talking about angels as an agent of Anno, an agent of the creators. Like, and that's why you don't see them. Mm. But we do see one get born. That's the thing. Or at least we see an embryo mature yeah. into, I don't know. It is an interesting thought.
0: Maybe we can get back into that in the spoiler section and, and talk about mm. kind of what the angels are and, and how that might affect that stuff. Because I want to know what they are. <laughs> 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 one whoop. We'll uh, get there. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, <we'll get> there. <laughs> so so we see this kind of um, mummy 01. It's all bandaged, bandaged up after it kind of went zombie in Zuriel. Yeah. Um, and then we have mm-hmm. a SEAL meeting where they're discussing this, how it took the S2 core, how that was something that they could have never predicted. And they talk about how they were trying to avoid something like this from happening by keeping a bell around Kaji's neck. Um, But they say that the bell didn't ring, or Gendo's neck, sorry. And then um, we cut straight to Kaji talking to Gendo, implying that he is the bell that they've placed around Gendo's Mm -hmm.
1: neck. Uh, And the, the seal council refers to Gendo as the only man that could make this happen, which is oftentimes the rhetoric used from above and from the actual platform of a fascist regime. Uh, saying that this strong man is the only one who can do it, who can save you from the darkness from the other. Oh, that's horrifying.
2: Ben, that's a really interesting observation about that Gendo and Kaji dynamic. Because when I first saw the Kaji character, I was thinking of him as a handler for Asuka. But it seems at least Seal's intent was that Kaji's the handler for Gendo.
0: Yeah, and and I guess we know that Kaji is is a double agent, if not triple agent, kind of unclear (laughs) where his true alliances lie. But it sounds like, you know, maybe he was supposed to do something to stop this from happening, or he was supposed to alert Seal, but... He didn't for, for whatever reason.
3: And oh, so that is just a mystery at the moment. Yeah, or mm-hmm. at least to me. I don't know. Oh, um, uh, okay, okay.
1: Well, I think at that point he was out in he was out in his uh, melon patch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> something had been found out about him and he was like, this is what I do now. I'm going to spend more time. And if I'm going to die, I'm going to die here. Gardening he's he's just gone
2: full nihilist.
3: He's like, I'm holding my trenches. You can't have my manga.
2: Maybe his real agenda has to do with these melons. <laughs> melons. Oh yeah, that's right. He tends to look at them. But I think we get some more clues at, at the end of the episode, so we'll we'll get there eventually. I think.
3: How come? How come it was an issue for them to hit four hundred percent? Because
1: they were at like forty to eighty before.
3: Oh. And so four hundred percent means that something is wrong. It's horrendously wrong. Oh, okay. Like okay. after after the battle against the fourteenth angel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is what happened and then that's yeah i went well it, yeah right.
1: after it ate the the s2 core
3: yeah okay. so so far higher has been
0: better but now he's kind of like off the charts and something weird is happening
1: um so we got ritsuko kind of overseeing the repairs or at least the plans to repair units 02 and 00 and the change of their central dogma Uh, they're going to change their location to a secondary location with fewer amenities. And it's like an older facility. What they're in is so damaged that they have to relocate there. And she talks about uh, O2 and OO are the damage dealt to them being beyond the Hayflick limit, which I don't know what this has to do with the actual series, but the Hayflick Um, limit is a uh, genetic limit on how many times a cell, if it's a, Stem cell, yeah. If it's a stem cell, that's <laughs> huh. an original cell, and that can divide a certain number of times based on the Hayflick limit. It's like cellular aging. So when you oh. get to the Hayflick limit, it won't divide anymore. That cell is, or that set of cells, they're done dividing. They're going to live out the rest of their time and be done. So I don't know what that has to do with the oh. Maybe it was just a cool science word well, to throw in. I there. mean, I,
0: I'm gonna speculate for them right so that if you're regenerating a bunch of tissue right you're going to need to make a ton of new cells to like fill in all those cells that you lost and so maybe you know there just aren't enough stem cells they can't possibly divide enough times to like recreate all that tissue that they need to regenerate
3: oh Mm -hmm. so it's it's pretty much a hazard to the pilot right I, th- I think it would be a hazard to the, the Eva. The Eva.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, yes. I see. What it's, and it's like a limitation the limitation on the Eva's regeneration, maybe.
2: Oh, gosh. Exactly. It's staring me right in the face. Oh, is this why uh, Unit 1 was back in the hangar, bandaged up? I, I think we need to go b- back even further than that. Okay. So like the fight mm-hmm. from the previous episode, mm-hmm. uh, Unit 1 runs out of energy. right? Oh. And it gets wrecked. And the thing is going for the core, where Shinji is. And then that's when this like sort of transfiguration occurs, right? Uh, Shinji's able to tap into something, but then it goes monstrous. <laughs> and then here we are: we've Unit One and Shinji in this strange situation. Unit One looks horrible. <laughs> Shinji's dematerialized, and
0: and then I guess we start counting up the time of, of how long. Shinji's been trapped somewhere in the Ava, you know. So everyone's kind of like discussing it. Um, we have day two. Ray um, wakes up. Asuka, uh, as usual, is kind of missing the big picture and thinks mm-hmm. that this is about Shinji having shown her up and and right. won the battle. It's very. She's very competitive. Yeah. And uh, that the palette is very blue. Um, for for all of this stuff. Um, and then we finally see kind of what's going on from Shinji's perspective. And, and even he's confused about what's going on.
1: It is an interesting state for Shinji to be in. It's kind of like Schrodinger's cat, like a quantum state. He's both uh, alive and not dead, but like, you know, he's, he's in between uh, states of being. Uh, and the only thing I could think to that in my repertoire to describe it is it's kind of like uh, transporters in Star Trek, like on, you know, their they're teleportation oh, device, but like what it does is yeah. break down your pattern of molecules and then send it somewhere. So while you're being sent, you are in this quantum state.
3: It's so odd. I wonder, I wonder how that feels,
2: that sensation. I don't even, that's so. I, I want to comment on something that is maybe why I wanted to, come back for this episode with you guys. Mm. So, so Evangelion gets criticized pretty heavily about its use of Judeo-Christian imagery. Uh, the criticism being that it doesn't mean anything. It's just artistic flavor. Uh, I don't agree with that, but I, but I don't, I don't think it's either, or I think it's both. And in my opinion, like Zoriel looks very much like a sarcophagus. And then when we see mm. one in the hangar, it's wrapped up like a mummy, mm. but beyond that, it also kind of reminds me of like Christ in the tomb. Uh, Cause He's also wrapped up in that fashion, uh, just based on mm. the culture. And then when I think about Shinji being disembodied, maybe it's just because we have recently come off the episodes of like Toji showing up on a crucifix. <laughs> um, mm. it, just, it just reminds me of uh, you know, the, the metamyth of you know, Christ going into the underworld after the crucifixion. And, uh, you know, the, the train construct seems very much like that. It seems like that Judeo-Christian underworld concept, Sheol, the uh, disembodied collective consciousness or something.
0: Just quickly, when you say the train construct, that's the scenes where we're seeing um, Shinji talk to Ray or to various people riding on this kind of orange train.
2: Yeah. And if I remember right, I think it's only... Eva pilots that access that, right? Like Toji has a moment where like he's looking at it, sort of like looking at Shinji in the train. Yeah, it kind That's, of
1: slips into Shinji's dream.
2: It's kind of strange.
0: Can, can you talk a little bit more about that kind of what you were comparing it to?
2: Yeah, Sheol or? Yeah, so it's a not very well-defined concept like in Judeo-Christian lore. Like before you know, the the Greek influenced idea of like a hell. There was this older concept of just shale, like this disembodied underworld, right? It's like people at that time, they didn't go to heaven or hell when they died. Everyone went to the underworld. And then I guess the earliest ideas of Christ being crucified, being in the tomb for three days, which again, I don't know how significant this is. Like Toji was asleep for three days he shows up on a crucifix. Right, and Shinji
1: <laughs> is dematerialized for 30 days. Yes. So there is something good to that.
2: Wow. So like, I guess as I'm watching this, what keeps coming to mind is this like Trinitarian concept. Like Gendo's obviously like the, the Godhead, the father, and then thinking about Shinji as like the Christ figure, the sacrificial lamb. Mm. And then the third part of that is the spirit. And I don't know what that would be. Would it be Eva 01? I guess so. And this kind of spirit ray figure that
0: we see Shinji talking to and, and kind of hallucinating about. Oh, that's
2: right. Yeah, so I, I, can, I can only speculate. <laughs> Plus a lot of this stuff is like, so it's been so long since I've had to deal with any like theological stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, also at, at the time of like Jesus of Nazareth coming, like there were actually many messiahs. Uh, some of them were just like political activists or whatever. Or false messiahs, or whatever. But this is also kind of what what came to mind when I thought of Toji's role, or like what Asuka was aspiring to be. I don't know. It's vague. But nevertheless, like, I just see Shinji, like, definitely being cast in this, like, messianic role, having Mm -hmm. this period in this disembodied underworld. And I guess probably too soon to comment on what happens. After he emerges from that, it seems like a definite trajectory being set up. So,
0: so I guess while, while he's in there, you know, so we see that his body isn't in the suit anymore, but his consciousness is still there. This episode almost feels like a bottle episode because so much of it is flashbacks to different scenes. So we get kind of this strobing flashback of, of kind of like all of the characters in the show, all of the the angels that we fought, and then text uh, in this case, teki,
3: uh, the Japanese word for enemy. Oh, the topographic imageries is what you're saying, yeah. How how it flashes on the screens, right on the screen, like the letters that show up. Yeah, yeah, and
0: and so he's he's kind of I guess we go through this whole thing about you know he's seeing all these like enemies and thinking about who they're fighting and why, and then kind of ends with this image of of gendo standing up over him um almost like he's you know the final boss in a video game or something mm-hmm. like that he's the shinji's <laughs>
1: ultimate enemy
3: oh he represents yeah actually i could have yeah fear
1: yeah well he starts out as kind of uh an abandoner or at least that's how shinji feels about it and then when he gets to nerve Uh, which we we reveal in this uh, uh, hallucinogen-like segment that Shinji says he initially came to Nerve. He agreed to come to Nerve to tell his father off. Like, that's what he wanted to do. But when he comes back to be at Nerve, Gendo kind of morphs into this role of rival or tormentor. And then now he sees him as this uh, dictator or godlike figure that a misanthropic God that does not love his son or does not love his creations.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think just the way that this show plays a lot with like religious themes and religious imagery, this episode and also has a ton of Freudian stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. and so that's kind of like an edipal concept too. Is that um, you know the son has to slay the Slay the father.
2: Mm, yes. Okay. So I'm I'm glad you said this because this actually kind of solidifies the the vague idea that was growing in my mind. So in the the next scene, we have the uh, the repeating image of these escalators going up and down. And uh, as I saw that uh, in this episode, it what popped out in my mind was Jacob's ladder it's from Genesis. The vision of like the angels ascending and descending, like to earth from heaven through a central figure, like a prophetic messianic figure. Uh, and then mm. we go to that, to Gendo again, right? And there's a conversation. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm getting too far ahead in our notes here. Like,
0: no, I think this is where we are. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Right. Um, abandonment is brought up, right? Mm-hmm. And then to me, like this addresses like one of the biggest problems in uh, religion, at least with Judeo-Christian traditions, is like the silence of the father. Silence of God the Father, right? And the desperate effort to hear, see, or feel that relationship through hmm. these circumstantial things and, like, latching onto them, which I think, like, this is Shinji's struggle, right? He wants this connection or has been hurt by the lack of that connection. Hmm. And I don't know if he does it so much as other characters like like Ray latching onto maybe trivial things like the glasses Oh, yeah. To, to anchor some type of connection that maybe isn't as solid as it needs to be.
0: And I guess through that lens, right? So that Shinji feels that his father or God abandoned him when his mother died. And then talking to this Ray figure, it's like, no, you ran away. You abandoned <laughs> your relationship with God when your mother died.
2: Oh my gosh. Now there's a really crazy theory popping up into my head now. It's like a reinterpretation of the title of our very series, like Neon Genesis Evangelion, new beginning evangelists. Like maybe this is what Shinji as like a messianic figure, like maybe this is what his mission is. Just the rejection of this distant abandoned father to find some other substantial connection Gosh, uh, we're really on the edge of like spoiler territory here. I'm going to stop. I'm just going to stop right there, and I'm not going to comment again. Well, let's run through it real quick
1: so we can get to that. The Unit 01 has regrown its skin, and they refitted the helmet to it. I think I had that right. And Ritsuko explains to... I think it's one of the techs that they are going to try this extraction attempt utilizing the Magi for calculations. And this might be the last time they use the Magi uh, because they're going to relocate. Ritiko says that they have attempted this not Ritsuko, but Nerve has attempted to extract a pilot. This happened to someone before, but it happened 10 years ago, which is the first time we've heard about other pilots, like, you know, another generation of pilots before these ones. I'm not sure exactly who they're talking about, but uh, we'll get to that. And then we get to day 31. Mm -hmm. So he's been sitting inside this thing for a month, which is a new record for how long we've like stuck a pilot inside of a plug for. And, and
0: just really quick, I think right before then, um, we have also the, the second title card for this episode, um, weaving a story to oral stage. And so again, I guess like oral stage is one of the Freudian stages of psychological development, or I guess it's the first stage. And so it's kind of like the newborn that is obsessed with, you know, sucking on the mother's breasts, Kind of exploring the world by sticking oh. things into its mouth, which uh yeah, you're so we'll see yeah. will <laughs> will come up later in the episode.
1: Yeah, yeah, we get that image. So Shinji's still having this hallucinogenic experience. We assume he's been having it the entire time, but of course, you know, his nervous system is detached from like a sense of time. So who knows what he's actually experiencing.
3: He's disembodied.
1: Yeah. I made this note, his relationship with fighting and winning is becoming dysfunctional. Like, he had some want to get near to his father initially, and then he has different people in his life that it solidifies it here. There are different people in his life that praise him when he pilots the Ava and especially when he wins fights with the Ava. But that's like, at least in this scene, it seems like that's becoming his only reason for living. Whereas we had seen him as a little more balanced of a character. He has his own problems, but we saw him as a little more balance between Asuka and Ray. Yeah. Ray being like totally distant even from her own personality and Asuka being way too obsessed with her own personality and experience. Well now he's kind of deviating towards Asuka's side.
3: That's very true.
1: He feels that piloting and winning are the only way
0: yeah i guess in the last episode when you know he was running away again he was going to give it all up he comes back and gendo asks him you know like why are you back what are you doing and he says basically it's like this is my only identity
2: oh i am
0: shinji i am the pilot
2: of one mm-hmm. this is what i do I, I guess this is maybe subconsciously like why i latched on to this episode so much like i just feel like the like the judeo-christian imagery is is like so strong right and we haven't gotten there yet but like we're approaching this like sort of 40 days concept with shinji being disembodied obvious judeo-christian parallels with that and that, that's jesus out in the desert uh not only that but also the period between uh the crucifixion and uh the day of pentecost like jesus's ascension back into heaven uh sort of like siddhartha becoming the buddha or whatever so when I, when I'm thinking about the psychological trials Shinji is going through, it reminds me of uh, Jesus' forty days in the desert with like the three trials, right? So he's confronting the, the detachment with his father Gendo, and then as we've already sort of commented, Shinji's like recalling like the praise and acceptance he was getting through conforming and performing, uh, just as this mono identity as the Eva pilot. And I guess we can't really comment on what the third trial might be because we're not there yet. (laughs) Uh, But that's just Mm kind of what came to my mind. So there's this like trial period of Christ in the desert, the trials of Shinji, and then paralleling that with the the 40 day uh, period between the crucifixion and the Pentecost where again, it's, it's confusing, right? And this might give credence to the critics who say the imagery means nothing of Toji showing up with an Eva that's been crucified being unconscious for three days. And maybe that's just to sort of plant this idea in the viewer's head. And getting back to Shinji, going through a trial in which is going to end with him ascending into some certain role that hasn't been revealed yet. Enlightenment.
1: Well, you talked about the first two trials and then said we're not there yet. The third trial, are you referring to this visitation he has, this uh, uh, imagery he conjures of Masato, Asuka, and Rei?
2: My guess would be that the third trial has to do with the human instrument instrumentality project.
1: Uh, I wonder, I hadn't thought about any of this uh experience, this uh, uh vision he has as a trial, but the the visitation with Misato, Asuka, and Ray or or these ideas of them, uh, it's kind of like a a flip of the many shinjis thing Mm -hmm. that uh, the the shadow angel had proposed to him. Like there's a shinji in everyone who knows you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he has Mm -hmm. these, like his version of Misato, Asuka, and Rei, these idealized or uh, more comforting visions that he has. And they're kind of uh, a trial in and of themselves, right? There's no, we don't get a, a definitive if he gives in or if he uh, resists, but it's kind of temptation, right? At least in that, in that Christ
2: allegory. So are we ready to talk about the scene with like the proposals of the different women in Shinji's life? Yeah, so his, his like fantasy, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not gonna be able to complete my thought until we get to the spoiler section, because it will actually have to do with some of the material that comes up in the end of Evangelion movie. I can at least lead us into this idea. So contrasting with the lack of intimacy that Shinji was feeling through his father, like now we have this other scene where a high level of intimacy is being proposed by these fantasy images of the women in his life. And if I could just pause there and address something that maybe has to do more with like anime community fandom. Sure. I really like this scene. Um, I think it's just very profound. And again, this is a scene that gets like ridiculed and is highly criticized in a lot of anime community Mm. because, because it's very sexual, um, but it's not fan servicey, which the general anime community will get really excited about like, yay, like panty shots or whatever. But if it's a more direct confrontation of a sexual issue, then it seems like it has made the anime community uncomfortable and it's not entertaining. And therefore it's more obscene, even though it's less explicit or less objectifying or less exploitative. Uh, And that just really frustrates me because I think if we're mature, we can have a mature conversation about this and get a lot out of this scene.
3: Also, I think it isn't just maturity. It's actually seeing what is within I mean, what, what we're able to perceive in the scene, it's, uh, there's always a much deeper meaning than meets the eye. And I think most individuals, well, I don't say most individuals, but out of my own experiences from what I've seen, it's, it's like it, the idea of just looking at a piece of work. Anybody can make a portrait, but can you make a portrait of your own, of your own universe? This is going back to the, uh, the, the fantasy scene. And it's funny that, yeah, I can see why it gets ridiculed but i think it's just yeah it's 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 highly misunderstood and i think a lot of individuals are missing the point that there is there is more of a message like it's talking about shin, shinji's sorry shinji's in their world in the sense of you know he feels a sense of repression you know like it's his defense mechanism that it's it's a form uh, how do i say there, there are threatening things happening and he he formulates memories his emotions and all these crazy concepts and i think that's that's where it's happening as well when when the scene comes in he, mm-hmm. he's, he's trying to find a sense of sanctuary not only well i like to think his rendition of sanctuary but i also like to think that we try so hard to reach out and see what the other person has in their sanctuary like Asuka, Ray, Masado, you know.
1: Uh, I, I do find the scene really fascinating. Uh, I think it's there's little things like so the the three female characters are tech they're nude, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there are no nipples. And the yeah. uh, the pilots, Ray and Asuka, their breasts are actually they're they're desexualized, right? Yeah. Uh, in a way that they are not when they're actually depicted in clothing and plug suits, they're true. actually highly sexualized there. The whole scene is a commentary on the practices of the, the industry. And this may be the thesis statement for the camp within Gainax mm-hmm. that was trying to make a commentary on like, hey, we can deal with human sexuality. We can actually cover it for young people who are really confused about their own maturing bodies. We do not have to exploit it. And and like I said there, it's a really loving, like sweet representation of it. You know, like sex is a human experience. And the way that the three kind of fantasy versions of these characters uh, repeat over and over to Shinji do you want to become one with me? It feels really good. And like, these are, you know, pretty accurate statements.
2: Mm -hmm. It's very real. Mm -hmm. Yes. So this again is a stark contrast to like the lack of connection and intimate bonds in psychological terms, secure attachment that Shinji wanted and wasn't getting. And now we have these, I don't know if you just want to call them archetypes since they're not like the actual real people in this disembodied construct just as you're saying they're communicating with a high degree of articulation exactly what intimate connection secure attachment means and then referencing the title card and i don't think we're there yet the flashback of newborn shinji nursing Hmm. yeah Uh, i just feel like that just reinforces like when when we talk about a deep intimate connection like it's not just sex right it's it's all of this stuff. It's the nurturing yeah. in your most vulnerable form, connected with another person, and most commonly through a physical connection. And in fact, we
0: so we get we get two scenes of Misato, Asuka, and Rei. So we have the one that we were talking about um, before. You know, then they're trying to extract Shinji. There's this feedback loop thing where he's hearing people saying his name faster and faster. And then that ends with another scene of Misato, Rey, and Asuka asking him what he wants. And then his, who we know from previous episodes, is his faceless mother asking him um, the same thing, asking him what he wants.
3: That's right. Kind
0: of drawing that parallel maybe between the connection and, and I don't know, Mm -hmm. that maternal bond versus these sexual bonds.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, we get a cool semi-transparent shot of Shinji. I think it's the only shot we get where you can see him inside the plug for the episode because he's supposed to be diffuse. And I thought it was short but cool representation of kind of a quantum state. And like you're saying, they're asking him what he wants, leading me to believe that the success of the experiment really is dependent on Shinji. Mm. Whether he wants to get out of... The robot get out of a one or not
0: and then so maybe this is you know does he want to just merge with the ava right now or return back to his body Mm -hmm. and and i guess correct me if i'm getting out of place but um this is around when we get that flashback of shinji's parents we learned that, you know, I guess we see, we, we kind of knew that he was born right after the second impact. Um, and Gendo makes this comment about how if it was a boy, he'd name him Shinji and a girl, Ray, which obviously is uh, an interesting tease about, mm-hmm. you know, is that just a coincidence with the character we know as Ray now?
1: Yeah, is that her real name? Is, is, <laughs> is it
0: his sister, you know?
1: That's... And so everything kind of, they initiate this program or this attempt to get Shinji out. And I think initially it fails, right? Like the the plug opens and LCL fluid splashes out and Shinji, yeah, Shinji's not in there. And Misato breaks down. But then we get this flashing of these two, and we've seen this before, these kind of underwater energy effects. There's a blue energy and a red energy. And it goes back and forth between them until they kind of merge in a last shot. And then, Mm. boom, Shinji's born again. And it's kind of like the the energies of you know two people birthing a new person. And mm, I mean, obviously oh. this is not Shinji being born for the first time, but it is again another rebirth. Another
3: rebirth yeah, yeah, you got you got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, yeah, that's right. I love
0: it. Yeah. And then kind of going along with the imagery of a rebirth, he comes out, you know, wet and naked and
2: yeah.
1: Sorry, I shouldn't laugh at wet, naked people. Yeah. <laughs> it is it's what It, is. Is. Gosh,
2: what? Oh. All- it, it really c- creates like a really neat picture, uh, just like how linear it all is, which is funny because I was so confused and lost on my first viewing of this episode. I, I did want to comment on the, um, the flashback scene between Shinji's parents. I thought it was really interesting. Gendo's perspective was so negative. Like he refers to the world Shinji was going to be growing up in as a hell. And then his mother's response was, I don't remember the wording exactly, but like you can make anything into a paradise if... Like if you have the will to live or something
0: like
3: that. Yes. You You should live it basically.
1: Ooh. At in Arcadia Ego. Mm. And in Paradise I Am. Sorry, me and Brian are in a book club we're reading through The Invisibles and there's an issue that discusses Paradise and the conclusion it comes to is that Paradise is not a physical place. It is what's
3: in your head. That makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> I don't know why we, we get so fixated on like, it's a physical place. I'm like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. It's, 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 a, it's about your individual perspective. But what I find even more horrifying is if I were to try to step into someone else's perspective of what they think paradise is, because I probably wouldn't understand. It's, it's crazy.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, okay, so
1: it succeeds maybe not the actual attempt but shinji does get out of the plug he remanifests his body he's his own physical being again we assume he's in the hospital he goes to uh get like checked out i don't think we get to see that yeah i think we immediately move to masato driving ritsuko somewhere
3: yeah, mm-hmm. I guess dropping her off or something. Should have gotten that off. drink. You know, you get you have to enjoy the present moment. What are you doing? <laughs> Sorry, I I was I was about to say there's a scene happen because I'm like, uh, you just lost paradise right now. You know, you could have you could have had it, but I guess paradise is lost. So I <laughs> mean Well Masazo's going to find her own
1: little piece of paradise. I know, I know. Uh, I understand that. I'm just I'm just yeah. <laughs> and I can't believe how amazingly I don't know if prescient is the right word or just like Future telling that this series is because the car's dashboard looks exactly like a modern car's dashboard (laughs) with like a little screen that turns into, you know, your backup cam. Uh Yeah. You just offhandedly predicted the future.
0: Good job. Hey, I guess in that scene, too, Ritsko kind of implies, you know, that maybe she's having some sort of secret tryst of her own a little bit of foreshadowing Um, but we have this weird final scene with uh misato and kaji uh it's almost just a still shot the whole time we're seeing a bedside table you know some cigarettes some more freudian stuff misato tells him how much he's like her father (laughs) yep that happens
1: yeah and and this scene is a lot like that the the vision scene Mm -hmm. where another anime or another crew or even other members of this crew if they had their way you would actually have shots of misato almost naked Mm -hmm. or you'd see her getting up and going to the bathroom or something and that would provide the fan service for the episode instead we see nothing but we do get an incredibly intimate scene you know yeah she talks about Mm -hmm. her father she tells kaji that she only smokes after sex that means that kaji is the only person who knows that she still smokes Mm -hmm. which means that we get to know that she still smokes because we're privy to this intimate moment and i can see where people would be upset about this and like i'm not i'm totally (laughs) against those people like this is awesome this is really like how to capture that kind of a scene and even when it turns to Uh, They kind of get back into it. They start to uh, uh, kind of make love again. I timed it. It's about 40 seconds Mm -hmm. from when you hear very suggestive sounds to the end of the episode. And just in that 40 seconds, you actually get a fairly decent uh, uh, audio description of how a sexual encounter might go. Both people make sounds, you have, you know, kind of playful dialogue about what's happening or what you're going to do, because you still do need to check in with the other person and mm-hmm. see if they're comfortable with what's happening. Like I just, I just went bonkers. I couldn't believe that they got this put in and I love that they got it put
0: in. Really? And like what happens at the end? You know, like like we have this kind of, it's almost like the tropey, like you know, suggestive sounding dialogue that then ends up being about something else, right? Like, oh, like, don't stick that in there. What are you doing? And you're like, oh, it's Mm -hmm. some weird sex thing. And then it's like, him putting a pill on the side yeah and i was like was he like poisoning her like (laughs) 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 no i'm serious like he's like yeah i was like gonna give you this gift like the final gift
3: like oh i see what you're saying (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy (laughs) yeah
0: well i i don't know like am i am i crazy for thinking that that like like, telling her like yeah i was gonna kill you and then they just like go back to like (laughs) having sex like i don't know
2: yeah it makes more sense in retrospect
1: thank you guys so much for coming on this has been really amazing really
3: oh uh, yeah, of course
1: did you guys have any uh final thoughts uh i just feel like that's a really great place to end
3: it really oh no no, no. this is great this is great no uh, other than i'm sure i'm sure i'm gonna have like probably hundreds of questions for next, well I maybe mean not hundreds, but plenty of questions to ask and a much more further detail and elaboration because this actually did, personally speaking, this had really opened my eyes to what Ava was because I remembered I jumped into Ava literally right after graduation, uh, right after college. I was just like, what am I doing? And then I found Ava by accident and it just became such an enlightening and insightful like ride. Even though, even if I didn't get it, I didn't get it first time. Not even that close, but my instincts were telling me you get it in some <laughs> weird shape or form. And you know, I, I'm I'm sure I'm not the only one. Yeah, I think
2: you like, just described all of us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well you got something out of it, and that's the point. And that's, you know, hey, you just described the purpose of this podcast to revisit it and get something
2: oh, else. Oh, I it. didn't even know.
3: Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good job, guys.
1: <laughs> Do you guys have any recommendations? Brian gives us really great
3: recommendations, so maybe you can spotlight something. Ed, you mean it's an anime you really love, or you know, I ran into an anime called Ergo Proxy. It gets into these very deep themes, not just not just from you know mythological things, but philosophy, talking deep into psychology, you know, just the consciousness of consciousness just the premise of it. Just diving into it, it's just like, what's this investigation? Why is this investigation going? And the main protagonist is Riel, and she's basically trying to understand what is the proxy? Because the, there's there's a creature called a proxy, and for some reason it is not exactly human, yet it is. Like, it is no different from us, but we treat it like an abomination. Like Anyway, yeah, it takes place like in an apocalyptic setting, and we live, basically society lives within, or, the so-called world lives within this dome things are very regulated like 1984 you're always being watched and monitored and i wouldn't be surprised if it also took things from ava like just just i mean not i'm not saying that it, it did but I, I wouldn't be surprised what was another one? Oh, girls last tour which uh, Bohe always talks to me about. Strong recommendation.
1: Uh, hey, if anybody wanted to check out your work, I'm going to try to
3: plug some uh, of your oh, of course.
1: Uh, piano pieces in that you give me. But if anybody wanted to check out your work, is there a place online they can yeah, find you?
3: Um, yeah, definitely. I've been, I've been meaning to post a lot more on my YouTubes, but uh, I, got, I got my Insta, Insta fam or Instagram rather. Yeah, what's your Instagram? Uh, okay, so it will be uh, Mr. Mew Mew. So M-I-S-T-A-M-E-W-M-E-W. Okay, and then what was your uh, uh, YouTube channel? Is that also Mr. Mew Mew? Uh, yeah, I just have to, I have to see, hold on. I, I have to see the spacings with that. I'm sure if someone searches Mr. Mew Mew, you, I
1: assume you'd be the only one. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> am, I am. Uh, and Brian, did you have anything you wanted to plug this time? You're so gracious of giving us your time. No.
2: Oh. Thank you. Well, if you want to go to my life coaching website, uh, lifejutsu.com, I do have an article on the anime uh, Ed was talking about, Girls' Last Tour. I think it's a pretty interesting read. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Some animes that you might want to check out if you are an Eva fan and want to know where to go next. Uh, you can watch Gunbuster, which was sort of oh! Ano's. <gasps> anime leading up to mm-hmm. Eva. You can see a lot of his early ideas okay. getting formed there that were later become Eva. Even though I sort of talked down about the end of Evangelion movie, it's worth watching. It is really well-made and gives you another insight into Anno's thinking. And then the Rebuild movies also, I enjoyed them, but I think it's also sort of like the Eva movie, times three, soon to be times four. Um, he just really doubles down on how much worse things could be. And at least on the uh, the life coaching front, I, I think I mentioned last time I was here, I was working on a therapeutic model for D&D. Uh, the alpha testing is almost done, getting ready for beta testing, and it's so far been really, really promising. And then uh, it looks like I'll probably be getting certified for neurofeedback in the next few months. Whoa. Yes. That sounds super cool. Yeah. I'm sure Ben can tell you all about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Actually that's a weird one. There's like I feel like that's like a very um like grassroots movement more. I know your mom like knew someone who was into it, Alex.
1: Oh, I gotta ask her. She's upstairs. I'll ask her. <laughs> <laughs> uh where can people find us, Ben?
0: Uh so we are at Pen Pen Pal's Pod on twitter and you can email at us penpenpalspod at gmail questions or comments you can also leave a comment on uh on a itunes review
1: love it um we do uh sign off here uh we have four people i don't remember what we did the last time it was four people would did we just have them say the first time
0: it's four people
1: isn't it we had kenneth and george on but they were on the same mic before so it was slightly
0: earlier I'll cut it out. <laughs> All right. Pen. Pen.
1: Owls. 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 Oh. <laughs> 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 All right. Thanks a, a lot, guys. We do not do retakes of that. <laughs> what? <laughs>
2: but
0: that wasn't even there. Our musician
2: missed his beat. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I just <laughs>
2: Are are we kind of free to discuss spoiler stuff now?
0: Yeah, let, let let's go to
2: let's go to spoilers now. Okay, this is our spoiler, spoiler session, session. <laughs> spoiler. All right. So later, we we do know what's in the capsule, right? I I, I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, it's information. There's like a chip. Um, he's he's passing on information. Like he kind of knows that this is probably the last time they're going to see each other. And he's passing on intel to her. Like she opens up the capsule, there's true. data that she can access, and that leads her a breadcrumb, like a trail that she can follow later just the 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 funny thing for me personally about this scene uh well well, i guess this is going to get personal so i grew up (laughs) in uh, a little town called Baldwin, missouri (laughs) in the 70s and we did not have sex education uh parents like good christian republican conservative parents didn't talk to their kids about sex so my first sexual experience was very awkward indeed and it kind of reminds me of the scene at the end of the episode, right? A lot of the stuff is just biology and goes okay. But sometimes there's just like whoops the daisy kind of things that happen. And it's awkward. And hopefully if you're confident, which I wasn't, you could laugh about that. Um, so that's kind of like what came to mind. Like, oh, this is like kind of realistic. <laughs> this isn't uh, some kind of etchy type anime. Uh, so I appreciated that. But then... The <laughs> The kind of funny speculation that popped in my head was, um, so the two of them are naked and uh, (laughs) he's got a capsule that he's going to give her. Where was the capsule? (laughs) They're naked. All of a sudden you hear something awkward happening, you know? (laughs) Uh, Misato comments about it and if i really stretch my imagination maybe he had it in his
3: ass
2: what the hell are you doing he's like, this is a present for you a butt present
0: <laughs> the, the so, freaking stage after the oral stage anal <laughs> <laughs>
2: My God, well, you know, in the world of spies, I guess you got to do some butt stuff. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Was there
1: any spoiler stuff? Any, I know you had some questions you wanted or some stuff you just wanted to go off about
3: Ed. Oh, there's there's always questions. Like I said, the the origination of the angels, where do they come from? How do they manifest? Why do they seem to be so persistent? And wait, what aren't they after something? Yeah, they're after Adam, Adam, right? Oh, oh, on the cross, right? Uh, sorta.
1: So, uh, are are you gonna go back through the series? Do you want me to spoil this stuff? For I you do know? not. Ma-
3: I I've, I've already seen the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. So the thing on the cross is not Adam. Okay. Okay.
1: That's, that's a lie told to everybody. Uh, the thing on the cross is Lilith. And Adam and Lilith, Mm. at least in this, are both singular beings. They're what's called a seed of life. Mm. So there is a ancestor species, which we don't deal with at all in the series, that sent out these seeds Mm. of life to different planets. Mm. And Adam arrives on Earth, and it starts spawning angels. And angels are supposed to be the dominant species on the planet. Well, at some point, Lilith's egg, which is, that's their transportation method, they call them an egg, but it looks like a moon, crashes into the earth, which is something that's not supposed to happen. There are not supposed to be two seeds of life on the same planet.
2: And That's the first impact?
1: Well, yeah, I guess that is the first impact. That makes sense. Um, And so each seed of life has a corresponding weapon called a lance of longinus, which will incapacitate the seed of life. Uh, and in the crash, mm-hmm. Lilith's Lance of Longinus is destroyed, and therefore Adam's Lance of Longinus activates in mm-hmm. response mm-hmm. and incapacitates Adam. So Adam has been incapacitated in this uh, embryonic kind of larval form oh, stay, okay. since prehistory. Oh. And Lilith is actually the progenitor of mankind.
3: Ooh. What is after Lilith? What do you mean? Is there, will there be... Oh,
1: another seed of life? I don't think we deal with any more seeds of life in the series.
2: But the the excavation in Antarctica, is that, that's where they found the embryotic atom? We still don't know, or at least I don't know what
1: exactly happened in Antarctica. I don't, I know that it was an experiment, but I don't know if it was an experiment with Adam or with lily.
0: Okay. Brian, I think you had mentioned there is something, um, You wanted to make a comment, but it has to do with the ending of one of the
2: movies. Okay, so, man, we are going to get so spoilery here. (laughs) All right, so my personal theory about Shinji's third trial uh, of what he will ascend into um, has to do with the Human Instrumentality Project, which is going to take all of humanity and merge them into one hyper-consciousness. And I don't know if this is SEAL's big scheme or if Gendo is trying to commandeer a scheme, but uh, the impression is that Gendo is trying to push for this merger, be the dominant ego personality, and that he will be God, I guess. But like the alternative is if Shinji can make that happen, you'll have a very different outcome, right? Like, so if Gendo, who thinks this is hell and is concerned with power, and that's his only interest in a collective humanity, that's just very grim. Like, you lose so much that individuality can offer. And depending on your perspective, you lose the significance of what it means to have an intimate connection. Love, because love occurs between two autonomous people choosing to have a connection. Right, where with Gendo's concept of this, it's just this aggressive, forced thing. Like, you're all me. <laughs> uh, whereas, so if, if Shinji wins, instead of a collective humanity, you have a communal humanity, because he's not about power. Um, he's about kind of like, as the mother said, making something into paradise. Well, I keep dancing around the word. I keep saying like secure attachment and intimate connection, but it's love, basically. <laughs> And I think that's what uh, Ano's kind of vision was. And I think that's the ending we get with the show. I, I think to the average anime viewer, it was expected that Shinji would go all super robot pilot and everything would go back to the status quo. Like we're all just living in these cities and doing human civilization stuff. But like, that's not the story that's being told. So that's what I thought was like a really interesting, significant you know, contrast between Shinji and Gendo collectivism versus communalism. The first question is about, do we even want this thing to happen? It's individuality versus collectivism. And then Shinji has this, well, there's a third way. Now, uh, that ending was rejected by a lot of the anime fandom, uh, the anime community. And then along comes this alternative ending, the the end of Evangelion movie. And again, these are only theories because theories is all we have. Um, about what Ano's intent was, but it looks like Anu is saying, "Okay, you want it to go a different way. I'll show you how it can go a different way. For it to go a different way, Shinji has to be a different person to get the ending that you want. Mm-hmm. He has to become a darker person. And I think there's like options in the series, like the main canon, where this could have happened. So like when we get the montage, right, when he's still in the disembodied state of." Uh, the different characters proposing intimacy. The second time we revisit that, the montage is very quick. And all of a sudden there's a dark figure thrown into the mix of the montage. And um, I don't know what it means, but I saw that and I was like, oh, there's something dark in here. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, the, the, the path Shinji takes in the movie, he becomes a much more aggressive person there's there's a moment where he goes to the the lake of ruin where we see like the broken angel statue and in the series like he'll go to it a couple times and the first time he gets um, comforted by the words of misato the second time he gets comforted by the yet to be revealed character kawaru and then in the movie the third time he goes there no one is there to comfort him and then his response is, he then leaves the Lake of Ruin and he goes to the hospital where Asuka is and she's comatose. And he's sort of like mentally reliving these interactions that he's had with her, both playful and aggressive. And um, in his frustration, he's like trying to shake her awake. The sheets get torn back and it reveals her naked body. He's just like in shock, like presumably in just in horror at himself of losing control And then we see him look down at his hands and he has like a white sticky fluid on his hand. And it's like, what the hell is that? Like, did he break the IV bag when he was shaking her? (laughs) Well, so later there's another like sort of mental construct scene and the spirit of Asuka is confronting him and reprimanding him for masturbating in the room where she was. Mm. So that's what happened off camera. He goes... She's comatose. She's vulnerable uh, through the fit. Her naked body is revealed and then Shinji masturbates. So this is the dark path he's on to become what, what the fans wanted. The Shinji who's going to fight and kill and win. And he's going to be more like Gendo. Hmm. And, uh, you know, like the movie, I enjoyed it. Like it was visually fun and cool. There were a lot of great fight scenes, a lot of great action scenes. But um, I think Ano sends this, he, he uses it to send... Uh, his message. Kind of like punishment, I think.
3: <laughs> punishment? Yeah.
2: <laughs> to, to the fans. Like, like okay, you, you don't want uh, like a communal collective, right? Uh, it's like, okay. It's like, then you won't get one. You'll get Shinji giving in, not wanting intimacy, but just wanting sexual gratification. And then, you know, if he's going to be the guy that fights and wins, then, you know, this is the Shinji who only sees himself as the Eva pilot, and like that's his only worth and his only identity.
1: Hmm. And it kind of takes away that flavor of
2: saving people.
1: Mm-hmm. It's he's going to be aggressive and go into combat just to do it, mm-hmm. just for its own sake, mm-hmm. which is kind of what the fan base is asking for by rejecting this like higher purpose,
2: right? Yeah. So like in the movie, like it's dark. It's a dark ending. Shinji becomes the tool that Gendo wanted him to be.
3: Oh, yikes! Wait, so. Are you saying that the, that the masses were expecting something entirely different, like I get, well, like you said, purpose. They wanted to have like a deeper or you no, know, not deeper. They just wanted something that was like blatant and, I guess, meaningful, when it doesn't
2: have to be? So <laughs> A little disclaimer. So uh, Evangelion, it was unique for its time, right? Like this is not what was expected in a mech anime. That's true. And that there's nothing to telegraph. Uh, for the audience. Oh, you need to put your expectations away, even though we're all tuning in Friday night, prime time (laughs) to watch our action anime. I mean, I don't know if I mentioned this. Like, so we've had a generation of people growing up on super robot mech animes and, you know, it's very much hero's journey. Uh, This isn't, well, I mean, I guess in a way it is, but it's, it's not the action hero ending.
1: Well, it's, yeah. And it's in the tradition of some of the stronger commentary mech animes, the more real uh, robot animes like Gundam and Macross, Mm -hmm. because ultimately those stories are, they're war stories, but they are anti-war, war Mm -hmm. war stories. Man, Mm -hmm. Ah, it's just so cool to think of things as a lineage. Mm -hmm.
0: Just real quick, I, I do think it's really cool that they put in that scene of the parents and Gendo talking about wanting to name a daughter, Ray. And I think that kind of puts in your mind the idea that, you know, Ray might be his daughter, which kind of moves you in the ballpark of the reality that, that Ray is the clone of the mother, Mm. which I think then will make that twist, you know, both feel kind of more plausible or realistic because they've kind of foreshadowed it. Does this, that make sense? It's kind of like they're telling you sort of what the twist is, but then there's going to be another twist on
1: top of it. And I think
0: that was really smart,
1: and and oh yeah, that was a question you had earlier, and we can answer it here. Uh, the reason that Shinji can pilot O one mm-hmm. specifically is that O one there's a consciousness inside of O one, and that consciousness is his mother. Oh, and so I, I think that the experiment, the uh, extraction experiment that Ritsuko talks about, her mother initializing. 10 years ago, I think that's Yui. That's Yui Akari Mm -hmm. when she merged with the Ava and then trying to get her out and failing.
3: Oh, but they, oh yeah, they failed. Oh.
1: Now I could be wrong. I haven't looked forward in the wiki enough to (laughs) say that with confidence, but it lines up.
0: It's kind of interesting because then in this case, it's kind of like, is Shinji going to merge with the Ava with the soul of his mother? But like in her case, I mean, like, was there some other weird soul already in there that
1: she merged with, or? Well, maybe there's something else that kept her from making the decision to come back. Maybe ultimately she knows that this is what Gendo wants. He wants power. He wants something, some big giant robot to control to make things right. And she, out of love for him, gave in to that idea. Or maybe she saw the unraveling of her relationship with Gendo, with him being so pessimistic mm. and her being so optimistic. Oh. You know, those two colors, those two it's, perspectives yeah. merging to create the purple of Shinji. Maybe that was too much that conflict was too much for her, and that dialectic had to collapse itself. And this is how she could. She could get away from him, mm-hmm. but still be with him, kind of have her cake and eat it too. by being in the Ava.
2: So there was an interesting callback in today's episode. Um, Like Shinji was saying that something smelled like mother, which goes back to the first or second episode where he's first in unit one and says it smells like Ray.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's also said it smells like blood. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah.
2: The uh, amniotic uh, sort of...
1: Yeah, what is LCL? And actually, do you know where they get the LCL fluid?
2: No, where? they
1: don't manufacture it it bleeds out of lilith and they just collect it oh boy do we actually know what that fluid is it's like liquid oxygen or it's like a liquid that's infused with oxygen so it's like amniotic fluid like you said so it's
0: something to go along like because there is a bunch of like molecular biology stuff in this i notice how complex it gets in 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 a past life i was a biologist. And the thing that that reminded me of when you said that um, is in cell culture. So if you're keeping cells alive in a dish, right, you know, you might have heard of Henrietta Lacks, like HeLa cells. So that's like a cell culture where weird things have happened to those cells that let them kind of keep reproducing outside of it. In fact, they have a they've escaped that Hayflick limit that we talked about earlier. Mm. Whoa. Like we don't know exactly what they need to stay alive. So we use this stuff. um, What's it called? It's like fetal bovine serum. So we like take not the red blood cells, but the stuff that they're floating in Mm -hmm. and we give that to the cells and that has whatever growth factors and nutrients and things they need to kind of stay alive and actually replicate maybe that's some of the molecular biology inspiration for the lcl hmm. and that idea of extracting this blood from
1: from that's, the and stuff. that's so cool <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. ben,
2: if we had more time i would love to ask you to explain telomeres to me to me but okay uh, <laughs> either
3: um and- even the Human Instrumentality Project, yeah. like more, more about the behind the scenes, and <laughs> I more, I want more. I
2: want more. I want all of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was just gonna make one last observation about um, like Judeo-Christian uh, references in the show. So the headquarters is called Central Dogma. I don't really know if it means anything, but like the way Shinji and Rei's names translate, depending on what ka- uh, kanji you use, means the law. Depending on what kanji you use for Shinji, is order. Oh. But um, one of the significant changes, like between Old and New Testament theology, um, is reliance upon the law and then however you want to interpret, like a messianic ascension. So just so I'm like, equally offending everyone at the same time. (laughs) I am not subscribing to any particular religious tradition. I'm more of a phenomenologist and just saying, as a matter of fact, all religions evolve. I'm sure that will offend somebody, but, uh, probably everybody, but you know, like modern day Christianity looks nothing like first century Christianity. It just, that's just the way it is. So it seemed like to me that, um, Gendo's path in his intention for the human instrumentality project was just about his idea of what was right and his idea of order and it's Gendo's way or the highway, like Gendo's law, Mm. his dogma. And then Shinji's path represented um, something that didn't have to do with like a law or a dogma. It just has to do with love and a authentic connection Oh, yes, yes. The the disclaimer, what I wanted to get at. It's not this way now, but pre-first century Judaism was really struggling with adherence to the law because it evolved to the point of having 613 laws that you had to abide by to sort of qualify as holy. I'm I'm not going to get the terminology right. It's just been too long. But uh, it was overwhelming, to say the least. Uh, and then all kinds of other things had to be implemented to make it manageable. When I was watching this episode I was thinking about Gendo and <sighs> no one can freaking make the guy happy. <laughs> it's like uh, he's just so damn rigid. <laughs> he's constantly unhappy.
3: I mean of, of course you're going to fall deeper and deeper into not just your own thoughts. You you're hollow at that point.
2: Yeah. But like it's like in, in the th- the first time we're Hearing Shinji's thoughts in this episode, like thinking about Gendo, the first thing that comes to mind is conformity and performance and all of this conditional crap to get Gendo's approval. And it just all seemed like, oh, maybe, maybe this is what unifies all this Im- imagery and like, these ideas. Gendo the father, who's about dogma. And the law. And it's, it's just not manageable. Mm. Again, just some abstract thoughts that were going through my mind. It seemed interesting to me.
1: Ben, didn't you know something about central dogma? Isn't that a biological term? Or a scientific
2: term? Yeah, yeah, it is another. So
0: I think the central dogma is that DNA gets turned into RNA, and RNA gets turned into protein. So is in some ways, the order of the steps, but in, it also like the organization of of kind of these fundamental principles of how life works in the cell, but yeah, dogma is such a a religious word too. I, yeah, is just a weird thought that I've had a couple of times now, and and it, you know we have these big themes about religion, about you know maybe kind of like governments and societies, like Freudian psychology and stuff like that. Um, but the thing I keep thinking of, you know, you know, so this this idea of like Life being seeded by an alien force, uh, we call that like panspermia. Um, Spermia. And you know, there there's this thing too that when when a sperm connects to the egg, the egg hardens its shell to stop other sperm from getting into that egg. Mm-hmm. And there are never oh, supposed wow. to be two sperm that simultaneously fertilize an egg. Oh um, God. Oh, just like the seeds of life. So, yeah, so so each time you tell me that, for whatever reason, my ex-biologist <laughs> mind goes to, like, oh, this is the story of, like, an egg fertilized by two sperm and, like, the chaos that, like, happened that, like, you know, like, is oh, this going fight. to create some new mutation, some new form of life, or is this, like, a disaster that these two sperm are going to, you know, fuck with all the DNA and, like,
1: the egg will be destroyed. and I love this show so much more now. <laughs> because of this. Layers upon layers. So does that give the possibility that the earth of the show is just a womb and the entire story is just the wow. chaos of two? <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, human instrumentality is supposed to be one gestalt organism that rises from the, the ashes of the earth, which would be, you know, a new type of organism coming out of the womb and taking its place among the stars.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then and there is this kind of like huh? it's this problem in psychology <laughs> and biology of emergence that you have these like little things happening at a small level that somehow you know so all these cellular components that then form cells and then all these cells that form an organism and then like you know all of your neurons that somehow form the brain and consciousness and then this idea of humans forming that next meta-organism
1: level or something like that oh like for you and I to be parts of a larger, larger organism in the same way or a similar way that our cells are part of.
0: Yeah. I, I, and I don't know if that's exactly what human instrumentality is,
2: but I think you're right. I don't
0: know. Yeah.
2: <laughs> wow. Uh, it just now happened this very moment. Uh, Darling in the Franks has been dethroned as my favorite anime. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> dethroned? What? Neon Genesis wow. Evangelion is now my favorite anime. Okay.
1: <laughs> All right. See, it was that good when it came out. We just didn't have the eyes for it yet. <laughs> the eye-
3: well, it takes time to actually, well, I say that. But yeah, it, it, it takes time hmm. to just dissect. What are the craziness and the layers of complexity? Like you said earlier, layers and upon layers. Uh, it's a very real, yeah. I guess the human instrumentality project, wasn't it just a phase of artificial evolution? I'm trying to understand even further because I guess what is natural is really what I'm trying to ask. Like how do we know what's natural anymore if it gets so chaotic and so crazy, and I know I'm not wording this the best,
1: no you're right, natural is a is a squishy term yeah. because you know, well, humans create things, but humans are natural, they come from nature. So doesn't that mean that what they create is also natural?